Well, good morning, everybody. And I want to welcome especially those watching online to include our West Haven campus. We're here at the Layton campus. We're live streaming to the West Haven campus. And some of those of you here at Layton who got our email on, we send out an email every Friday just with kind of, here's what's coming up, here's what's going on. You're surprised to see me up here because we promised you Jared and you got Brian. I, I want to apologize. You know, West Haven, Jared is the West Haven campus pastor and so he and I were swapping today. I was going to be preaching live in West Haven. He was going to be preaching live here, and he got under the weather, and we had to do a, just a quick switch. So we're like, we're flipping things around. In fact, I was in San Diego yesterday. It was, it's been a busy couple of days as we've been trying to figure this out. So, um, so I'm here. He's at home recovering, watching online. Everybody say, hi, Jared. Hi, Pastor Jared. He's watching online with his wife. In fact, I want to just take a moment. Uh, pastor Jared, for those of you who don't know, Pastor Jared was the, was the founding campus pastor at this campus for, year, for over a decade. He was here. Many of you who have been here a long time, you know and love Pastor G. You are excited to be here today to see him. Uh, we just, we, and now he's been serving at the West Haven. He's, he's on our executive team, and he's filling in a gap at the West Haven campus right now because that's just his heart. He's just such a servant. And so these are two campuses, West Haven, who's watching online today, or the live stream, and Layton, who know and love Pastor G. Let's take just a quick minute before we get into the sermon today to pray for G and, and that he would feel better this week and quit complaining. <laughs> Let's do that right now. Father, we just thank you for G and for Paula and for their, for their boys and what they've meant to Alpine over the years. And we just, we do pray, God, even as he's resting at home, God, that you would help him to to recover, and then to get back in the saddle. Thank you for the giftings that, that you've given him and that he exercises at our church. We just thank you for him and for all of our, all of our leaders and pastors and staff. And I pray, God, that you just would um, continue to, to lead us at Alpine Church and all of our campuses to help people to pursue you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, let's get into the message today. We're in the Gospel of Mark. We started this at the very beginning of the year. Can you believe we're coming to the end of our study of the Gospel of Mark? Some of you are like, I thought this would never end. Uh, we've been studying this since, since, like I said, the very beginning of the year. We've never done this before at Alpine. I've loved it personally. I think it's been so fun to just dive in. We've been taking the Gospel of Mark section by section, and I just want to remind you that, that you can... Uh, you can find the, on Fridays we release the podcast, on the Pursue God podcast, we release the pod, kind of a preview of the sermon that you're going to hear. A lot of folks are listening to that, and it's a great way to kind of get, uh, get ready for Sunday morning, and so that by the time you come here on Sunday morning, you're like ready to go, so I encourage you to check that out. Today we're, today we're in chapter 12, if you have your Bibles. Uh, we're in chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 38 to 44, and the question that we're going to start, every, every week we, we've been trying to start with a question. The question we're going to start with today is how do you spot a fraud, a religious fraud, a spiritual fraud? You know, there are so many spiritual frauds these days, so many people that you see on TV, um, and I don't know if you've got, if you've developed like a sense of discernment. How many of you feel like you're pretty discerning when somebody's like a fraud, you can you can tell pretty quickly, raise your hand. Some of you are really good, you're discerning. Some of you maybe are like, I'm not really good at that. Uh, honestly, it's hard to tell sometimes. It's hard to tell. I've, I've had lots of people that I've really appreciated over the years uh, that I've, I've looked to and I've read their books and I 
listen to their sermons, and it has been devastating to me to see how many of these people have fallen from grace, spiritual frauds. In my lifetime, in my lifetime, spiritual frauds. And I, I thought that it'd be, good, it'd be good for us to kind of go through history. I've got a few examples of some spiritual frauds for us today. One of them goes back quite a ways. His name is Pope Leo X. He was a Medici. If, and, and if you know the Medici family, the, the very, very wealthy banking family from Italy, he actually was a part of that family, eventually became the Pope. This was the guy, for those of you who don't know your history, this was the guy who... Um, in the, this is in the late 1400s, early 1500s. He wanted to build St. Peter's Basilica, and, uh, but they didn't have enough money in the treasury, and so he came up with this brilliant idea called the sale of indulgences. An indulgence in the Catholic Church, was an indulgence was something that, that he said, if you bought this indulgence, you paid money for this indulgence, and basically... What he said is you're going to lessen your time in purgatory. Catholics believe in something called purgatory, that after you die, you go to this waiting place, depending on how good you were or how many, how many of your sins you still need to work off. By, by the way, that, that doctrine is not biblical. It's not in the Bible. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith, that after, after death, that's it. There's no, you can't work off anything, but in the Catholic in the Catholic uh, religion, the purgatory is a place where you can kind of work off your sins. And, and so Pope, good old Pope Leo X said, if you pay X amount of dollars, then it'll lessen your time in purgatory. And this was, of course, popular with people who had lots of money. They're like, this is great. <laughs> this, is, this is great. So they would just pay off their time served in purgatory. Of course, if you, if you know your history, this was kind of the trigger for Martin Luther, who at the time was a German monk, and he's looking at this, and he's, he was a monk and a theologian, and he's reading the Bible, and he's listening to what Pope Leo X is doing, and he's saying, this isn't matching up. I don't see that this is in Scripture, and so he posted, he wrote the famous 95 Theses, and this was 500 years ago. The printing press had just come out, and so this is one of the first things that was able to be printed and by God's providence, the sale of indulgences, combined with Martin Luther and other reformers, led to the great Protestant Reformation, which is one of the reasons we're here today. We're a part of that tradition because we realized this was a fraud. The Pope was fraudulent. It was not true. He was making stuff up for his own purposes, and that's one of the most famous frauds in religious history. This one's less well-known, Joanna Southcott. This was a woman... In, uh, in the early 1800s in, in London, England, and she had, she was a prophetess. She said she was a Christian and she was a prophetess and, and she had a box. You know, these frauds are all, they're really creative. Just anytime you see someone that's just a little bit too creative, your antenna should come up. You're like, that sounds a little too creative. And she had this box, box of prophecies she would make a prophecy and she would write it down and she'd put it in the box and seal it. It was a sealed box of prophecies. You couldn't look at it. You couldn't see it. But you could imagine the excitement that that would have created. Like, wow, when is she going to unseal the box of prophecies? And one of her prophecies is that she was going to be pregnant with Shiloh, who was supposed to be this like messianic figure. The problem is she wasn't married and also she wasn't pregnant. And so she died and the jig was up. A lot of her followers... When that prophecy never 
was fulfilled. A lot of her followers abandoned her. Some of them stayed because the box was still sealed. This was 1814 that she died. The box was still sealed, and so she hung on to a few followers for over 100 years. 1927, the box, you can Google it. You can see the actual box. It was a wooden box. I was going to actually bring a box up here and pretend like I had it, but I, <laughs> you guys seem too smart for that. So They unsealed the box in 1927, and in there were some of the prophecies in a lottery ticket. <laughs> for real. And none of the prophecies were true. She was a fraud. Some of you are like, I never heard of her. I actually hadn't heard of her either. But you, many of you would have heard of these guys. Good old Jim and Tammy Baker. Tam, Jim and Tammy Faye. These were fraud. For, those, for you younger people, I don't know if you would know who these people were. These people were kind of the founders of the PTL club. They were, te- they were like some of the early televangelists. I always warn people, if somebody has lots of hair, do not, do not trust them. Do not trust them. Look at this guy. And, and Tammy Faye and her makeup. And these guys, okay, these guys had the, the PTL club, but then they had... They had this Heritage USA, it was like a theme park in South Carolina, and they were selling lifetime mem- memberships to it, and anyway, the whole thing turned out just being a scam and a fraud. Jim Baker went to prison, Tammy Faye Baker, they ended up getting divorced. It's really actually a pretty sad story, but they were more popular, more well-known frauds. I mean, in your own life, maybe in small groups this week, you can talk about some of the frauds in your lifetime that were maybe a little more devastating to you. I know for me, that the, when I found out what happened to Ravi Zacharias? I loved Ravi Zacharias, and when I found out a few years ago uh, on his deathbed, as he was passing away, some stuff came out about him that was devastating. Because here's a guy whose ministry I really appreciated, and it turns out that he was a fraud. Bill Hybels is one of my one of my. You know, he's a Midwestern guy, a Chicagoland guy, and there was some stuff that came out after his retirement in ministry. It's devastating. The truth is that frauds are nothing new. In our text today, we're going to see that Jesus is going to call out some frauds. So let's take a look. If you have your Bibles, Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 38. Now remember, Jesus is here. He's preaching, or he's not preaching, but he's in the temple. He's at the temple grounds. He's been answering questions. They've been asked, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes have been asking questions of him. And then last week we saw that he asked a question of them, who is the Messiah, who is the son of David? And so we talked about his question to them, and now we move on today, and Jesus is going to continue to teach in the temple grounds. And here's what he says, beware of those teachers of religious law. And remember, those are scribes. So some of your Bible, depending on the Bible translation you're using, we're using the NLT today, we, we have the teachers of religious law in the ESV they're just called scribes. Beware of the scribes. The scribes, remember, the scribes were like the lawyers. The scribes were the, were the ec- experts on religious law. They were experts on the Old Testament. And Jesus is saying to the people right there near the temple, he's saying, beware of the scribes. Now remember, Jesus is a carpenter. He's just a carpenter. He's a, he's a carpenter's son, which probably means he, he took up the trade himself. That's what you did 2,000 years ago. He's not educated He's a nobody in their minds, and Jesus is calling out the scribes and religious leaders, and here's why he says to beware of them. 
He says, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they, wa- as they walk in the marketplaces. You know, that's what happened if you were a scribe. So if you were a, scri- if you were a scribe, one of these, they were part of the Sanhedrin, you would have this long religious robe, this long garb. It had tassels on it. It was all like, all of it had meaning. But the, but the main point was you wanted everyone to know. You wanted everyone to know that you were all that. And literally, when you walked through the marketplace as a scribe, when you walked through the marketplace, if another person saw you, they were, they were supposed to stand up for you and respect you. Like, a, like when a judge walks into his courtroom, everybody stands up. Or when, we drive, when I drive on base with some of, my, some of my friends who are like retired colonels and lieutenant colonels, and I drive on base with these guys who I just know as regular guys, and we drive on base, and these guys like salute them, and I'm like, oh, all of a sudden, like I have to salute my buddy here. I'm like, I don't really understand that world, but it's that kind of thing. Like there's this, there's this respect that you get in this culture, and these were the scribes. They were supposed to be respected. So you can imagine how that could start to feed your ego if you were a scribe. And, and this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at the banquet. So a scribe in the synagogue, a scribe would be sitting, would be sitting in a seat of honor in the synagogue. They wouldn't just be sitting out there with all y'all. They'd be sitting up here in these Seats, I remember I grew up in a church back in the day. How many of you maybe grew up in a church like this where the pastors sat on, on the stage, in chairs, on stage, behind the preacher? Anybody grew up in a, grew up in a church like that? that was, so it wasn't just me. Now, I remember by, by about high school, they stopped doing it. And I was like, thank God. Because I, I, was, I was always like, I could never go into ministry. Because I don't know if I could stay awake sitting back there on that See, like it's one thing to fall asleep right out there and only a few people, you know, your wife could nudge you if you're snoring. And I was like, I could never do that. There's something about religion where we do this. I remember my church growing up, everybody wore suits and ties. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with suits and ties. But we've always been a church where we're like, just come as you are. Like we're we're trying not to, We're trying not to have what's going on here in this text. We're trying not to have that become a reality in our world. But it had for them. Jesus is calling out these scribes and he's he's saying, look, here's the problem. It's called celebrity status. Let me try to use a word that we could understand a little bit more. There's something just about celebrity status that we need to be careful about. Now, I'm not saying that all celebrities are terrible. I think some celebrities are great. But boy, it sure seems to be like few and far between when you meet someone who really is like great in the world's eyes and yet just has a humility about them. I remember I was years ago before we moved to Utah, I was a chaplain for the Chicago Cubs. And I was able to meet, one day I was able to meet Oral Hershiser, who if the, you baseball folks, he's a, he's a Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the greatest pitchers ever. He's a believer. He's a follower of Jesus. And so I met him in relationship to baseball chapel, and it was just he and myself and another guy in the room. And I remember just how struck I was that this, I mean, I was like in awe of this guy. I stood up and saluted him, and no, I didn't do that, but I was in awe of this guy. And he was the most humble, disarming guy I've ever met. He just, 
He made it all about me. I'm, a, you know, I'm like a 20-year-old kid, and he's just like, hey, tell me about your life. And tell, I said, I'm engaged to get married. He's, oh, that's great. What's her name? And, and we had this incredible conversation, and he was so kind and humble. But man, is that the exception. I've met so many other people who are celebrities, not even that level of celebrity, who, who buy their own hype and get arrogant. Celebrity status has this way, whether in the world or in the church, it has, it has a way of, of like turning our perspective from what really matters onto ourselves, and this is what had happened to them. And so Jesus is warning the people. He says, beware of these people. In fact, in another place, Luke chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said this, when someone has been given much, much will be required in return. And when someone has been entrusted with much, even more will be required. So see, this is why, by the way, it's so important that at least leadership in church, we need to pay attention to the leadership in church and you need to hold the leadership in the church accountable. And when you're checking out a church and you're moving to a new area, like you, it really matters because, because Jesus is saying, Positions of leadership are important in the church. And in Jesus' day, he realized that the scribes had let it all go to their head. So beware of celebrity status. That's the first way to spot a fraud. Again, it doesn't mean that they're a fraud, but you should actually be skeptical. So as you are watching, as you get into celebrities as a Christian, and our world just thrusts celebrities in front of us all the time. So just be aware, be aware of that, lest you are following a fraud. The next sign of a fraud is a little bit less obvious, and we're just gonna call it hypocrisy. Let's read on, verse 40. Jesus says, these scribes, remember these scribes who are dressed to the nines and and have all this, like everybody seems to be worshiping them. He says, here's what's really happening with them. They shamelessly cheat widows out of their property and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. You see what he's describing here? He's describing hypocrisy. He's describing insincerity. He's saying, they're one, thing, they're one thing in public, but in private we know what's really going on. Now, they, remember Jesus' day, the people probably didn't know this. The people look at a scribe and they're like, oh, you're awesome, you're the best. But Jesus really knew. Jesus really understood what was going on. He understood their hypocrisy. He recognized that they were frauds. They were pious on the outside with their long prayers in public. And yet, on the inside, they were dead. In another place, Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. A whitewashed tomb is a, he's like, you're, all, you're white on the outside and beautiful on the outside, but on the inside, there's death and rotting bones. And that's what Jesus said. Jesus understood it. Jesus recognized it. Luke chapter 12, verse two, it says, the time is coming Jesus speaking, when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Jesus is actually doing these guys a favor by telling them, here's what's really going on 
in the lives of these scribes, even though you can't see it. And in 1 Timothy 5, 24, I love what Paul says to Timothy. And Timothy is Paul's understudy. So Timothy is, is like trying to teach him as a, as a leader, as a pastor. He's like, hey, I want you to pay attention to this. And here's what he says. Remember, the sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. And so Jesus is saying there are some, everyone's sin is eventually going to find them out. Be, be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. And Jesus is saying it's obvious for some people. Pope Leo X, he was exposed. Southcott, Joanna Southcott, she was exposed. Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, they were exposed. Some of these people that I've loved, I mean, Ravi Zacharias, if you don't know the name, he was just a, just a powerful worldwide ministry. And on his deathbed, sadly, he was exposed. Your sin will find you out. Maybe some of you are here today and you're like, huh, I wonder if my sin will find me out. And the truth is, it will. For every single one of it, you don't have to be a leader, a spirit, you don't have to have a, a presence on YouTube or a big, past, a big pastorate at some church or, or a ministry with your name on it. Your sin will find you out. That's what God's word says, your sin will find you out. And it's actually a good thing if your sin finds you out in this life because it'll give you an opportunity to repent. It's a story in the Old Testament of King David, and, and David, if you know his story, David, David was a celebrity. David was the king, and it was at the time when the kings went to war, and David stayed home. Instead of staying busy and on mission and on task, he stayed home, and then all of a sudden he got mixed up with, a, with one of his warrior's wives. His, his warrior's name was Uriah, and, and his wife was Bathsheba, and she was beautiful, and he saw her, and he slept with her, and he tried to cover it up, and he did for a little while. If you, if, you don't, if you don't know the story, it's a great story in the Bible. But until God's prophet Nathan came to David and told him a, a parable about a guy who owned a, a precious, precious sheep, and basically this sheep was stolen from this poor man. The poor man, the parable, the poor man in the parable was Uriah, basically. But Nathan is just telling him this story, and David is getting more and more angry at the parable because, like, how could someone do such a thing to this, to this man who owned one precious sheep? And then Nathan said, you are that man. He said, you are that man, what you've done with Uriah. And he had Uriah killed, and he took Bathsheba as his wife, he said, you are that man. And so basically, Nathan exposed the sin of David. And what I love about this is that David's response was repentance. David stopped trying to cover up his sin anymore, and this is an encouragement for all of us. That if when, when our sin is exposed, when we respond in humility, when we, we, when we respond in repentance, that God's word says that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that day, David, David tore his clothes in repentance, and, and David confessed that he was wrong, and David stopped trying to cover up his sin, and that's the right response. For some of you here today, I just want to encourage you, maybe, maybe today's message, maybe that's the main thing you're going to take away, is you've got some unrepentant sin in your heart, in your life. Maybe some sin that you recognize is there and nobody's exposed it yet. Nobody knows about it yet. But just know that God's word is true. 
and it says, your sin will find you out. The sins of some people are obvious, leading them to certain judgment. But there are others whose sins will not be revealed until later. I just encourage you, one of the better ways to handle your sin, your secret sin, is to, is to expose it the sooner the better. Even some of you young people watching today, or some of you here, maybe you're like, you know, there's some stuff in my life that mom and dad don't even know about. I just encourage you, like, maybe this week, maybe today after church, say, hey, could we talk about this thing? Because you, you might find that, you, that your parents, I hope you'll find that your parents are just like God, gracious and forgiving, and that when you have a repentant heart, that they're going to help you with that. They're going to help walk through that with you. So many people, they, they get into sin in junior high, high school. They have sin patterns that nobody really knows about. Maybe their friends do, but their friends aren't going to call them out on it. Sin patterns that then develop and it, begins, it, gets, it becomes a hook in your life. And now what started off small in your life eventually just, just grows and becomes worse and worse and worse. And pretty soon, like, you don't even know how to handle it. And some of the old people in here right now are saying, man, I wish I would have heard that sermon when I was 16, right? But I mean, the truth is, it takes a lot of courage to say, hey, I got an issue. Can somebody help me with it? Your sin will find you out. That's what this passage is saying. And I like what he says, he goes on, he says this in verse 25, in the same way, the good deeds of some people are obvious. And the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light. You know what he's saying there? He's like, Paul is telling Timothy, he's like, look, on the bad side of things, the sins of some, some people really hide their sin, but it's gonna eventually be found out. And then he's flipping it, he's going the other way. He's like, look, some people make their good deeds obvious. Like they, they do good things and they want everyone to see it because they want praise right now, right here and right now. So it's like he's flipping it. He's like, but the good deeds of others are done in secret. You see what Paul did there? He's like, the good deeds of others are done in secret and God will reward those. It's so funny that we, that we hide our sin but we expose our goodness as much as we can. We expose our righteousness as much as we can. And that's what Paul's saying to Timothy. And what he's saying is, look, God understands and God sees all of it. And the good deeds done in secret will someday come to light and you'll be rewarded for it. Which is exactly what happens in the next part of our Mark passage. Okay, so, so Jesus, what Jesus is doing in this Mark passage is he's exposing the scribes for their celebrity culture and their hypocrisy. And now, what he's gonna do in the next few verses is he's going to give a counterexample to the scribes that really matches this verse in 1 Timothy 5.25. Let's go back to Mark 12. So after he calls out the scribes, it says that Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts to be seen by all, right? And then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. And Jesus called his disciples to him and he said this, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Here's what was going on here. In the temple, there were, there were these 
offering boxes. You know, here at our campuses, we have our offering boxes on the back wall and the way out. It's pretty discreet. But in the temple 2,000 years ago, they had these what were called shofar chests. They had 13 shofar chests. And it was, they were 13 separate offering boxes, basically, with a shofar. A shofar is like a ram's horn. It was this big shofar coming out of it like a funnel. So, so there'd be a chest and a shofar, a big funnel. And so people, you would go by and you would drop your coins into the funnel and it would make all this noise, right? So if you had, if you had all this money, like these rich people here, they had all this money, they would go to the, they would go to the shofar and they would want to make sure everybody saw this and it was more than seeing it, you would hear it. Because, you know, you had all this money just dropping it in there. And, and the money would, the coins would clank around there. And so if the rich guys showed up, like, people were like, oh, man, did you hear how loud that was? That was awesome. You know, we talked about this as a staff. We're going to get shofar chests for our <laughs> offering boxes. We're like, we think this is a good idea. It seems biblical. It's a good idea. Actually, Jesus is saying the opposite. Because isn't it interesting, it's like Jesus is, is sitting, it says that, he sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched. Could you imagine how intimidating that would be if you knew that Jesus was watching what you were giving? And he's just, he's not saying a word, he's just sitting there and he's just watching He's watching, you know, one guy walk in and drop in all, this, all these coins and make all this noise. He's watching the next person do it, and, and he, I'm sure he's watching some of the scribes doing it. These scribes who were wealthy. Remember, he had just said these scribes take advantage of the poor. The scribes are getting rich on the giving of the poor. And so here the scribes are now for show. I'm sure there's some of the people who are just dropping in all this money and making all this noise. And looking around, making sure everybody sees it. And Jesus is just sitting there quietly. He's just observing like we all love to do at the airport, right? Like, don't you love to people watch? Raise your hand if you love to people watch at the airport. I just love it. It's one of my favorite things to do. That's all he's doing. He's just people watching at the airport. He's just paying attention. And then he sees this poor widow come up. She's not making any noise because she just has two small coins. The small, it's a fraction of a penny. The smallest coins that they had would hardly make any noise at all. She puts it in the shofar box. It makes no noise. It draws no attention. But isn't it interesting what Jesus said? He said, I saw it, and she gave more than anyone else. Everything about her was less than. Like on the surface, she was not a celebrity, she, there was nothing impressive about her dress. Like she was, she was dressed as a poor pauper. She had all the money that she had. She gave it all to God. Everything about her was less than. No one would have noticed her, but Jesus noticed her. And Jesus is calling her out. Here we are, 2,000 years later, we're talking about her, but we don't even know her name. This, this unknown poor widow who gave the widow's might if you ever read the King James, the widow's might. And he's saying, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others because it's not about the size of your giving. It's about the size of your sacrifice. And for her, it was genuinely a sacrifice. And Jesus 
says, that is genuine. That is sincere. She's not a fraud. Everyone else is. The word sincere literally means without wax. Wax, wax meant in, in Jesus' day, wax was a wax mask is something that you would put on in a play. And it would be like you were, you know, you were playing the part of something else. And so the word sincere means that I don't have a mask on. I'm not trying to pretend to be anything. What you see is what you get. And that's who this woman was. She was just genuine, without wax, and generous. And Jesus is contrasting these scribes who were well-known and wealthy and put on a show with this poor widow, and he's saying, they're the fraud and she's not. The truth is, you know, to answer our question, how do you spot a fraud? You can look at celebrity, you can look at hypocrisy, and we will always have frauds, always. Like, this isn't ever gonna go away. You're always gonna have frauds. You're always gonna have to be on your toes, paying attention to who you're listening to, who you're watching on YouTube, young people who you're influenced by. You always have to be on your toes and try not to get pulled in and duped by frauds. Remember, the people with hair, stay away from, remember that? <laughs> but the real question today, the real question today is, are you a spiritual fraud? I mean, isn't it so easy to listen to a message like this and read this and say, yeah, you get him, Jesus. You get him, Jesus. You call out the celebrity culture. You call out the hypocrisy. You call all this stuff out. It's so easy to like point fingers at everybody else. It's so easy to do that. But honestly, like I think what we should end with today is, is to turn that gaze back on us. Jesus is watching us now and say, what would he say about us? For everyone in here, for everyone watching in West Haven, I want to ask you, like, are you... Are you more like the scribes or are you more like the widow, this poor woman? Who are you more like? And all I want to do here, just real quick to close, all I want to do here is apply those, those two fake indicators and the one genuine indicator. The fake indicator is celebrity culture. I think I was so disappointed to hear how many people bailed on their faith when Ravi Zacharias was exposed as a fraud. That was the saddest part about it. I was sad when Ravi Zacharias was exposed because I really appreciated his ministry. I, I read a lot of his books. I was sad, but it didn't impact my faith because I followed Jesus, not Ravi Zacharias. So many Christians today, their faith is based on a celebrity. Their faith is based on one, on one person that you see on TV or on YouTube or social media or even a live pastor or whatever. Their faith is based on a human individual who's a celebrity now. And I think that that is a sign of a fraud. Not in the Ravi Zacharias, but in the follower. If your faith can't get past the failure of a human being, then your faith might not be as genuine as you think. Or how about the second thing, hypocrisy? You know, Jesus said the, the scribes put on a show on the outside, but they were fake in real life. Well, again, let's think about, that's, it's not just a scribe that does that. Don't we all do that a little bit? Like the, the 
reputation versus character. There's a difference between reputation and character. Reputation is what everyone else thinks about you. Character is who you really are. The scribes had a great reputation and a horrible character. Jesus had a horrible reputation, thanks to them, but perfect, flawless character. And what about us? Like, what's the gap between your reputation and your character? What is your character really like? You know, we're, we're, at least here at Alpine, we don't, we don't like dress up. We don't, we don't have the garb for the show, but that's not the only way to put on a show, right? We don't, we don't have the garb for it. We don't, we don't dress like that. But there are still things even in our culture where I think we just have to be aware. In small groups this week, I encourage you to talk about it. Like, okay, what are our things in our culture, a culture like Alpine, that's a little more laid back, non-denominational? Like, what are our things where we realize there can be some hypocrisy going on there? And I think it'd be good for all of us to ask the question. And even just this last thing, honestly, like generosity, I, I really think one of the one of, if you really honestly want to ask that question, am I a spiritual fraud, I think you can't answer the question without looking at your giving. I really do. I think you've got to look at your giving because Jesus himself said, like, the litmus test for your faith is your giving because you, you can say it all you want, but if you're not actually sacrificially giving like this, like this widow did, if you're not sacrificially giving, I'm like, are you really bought in? Are you really bought in if you're not giving? to the kingdom of God. I want to just challenge everyone. We don't talk about giving a lot around here, but I do want to challenge you. If you call Alpine your home church, like I hope that you would be a giver. Tracy and I are givers. We're generous givers. I know that we don't make as much money as most, probably the average family at Alpine Church, and yet we're in the like, top 10% of givers at this church, and some of the other pastors on staff are as well. It shouldn't be that way. Like Honestly, it shouldn't be that way. Because I know, like, if I wasn't in ministry, we, I could get a real job <laughs> and make some real money. Tracy could, too. But, like, we, we love what we do. But we, like, one of my things is I, I think we should, be, we should be in the maybe the top 25%, but not top 10% of givers. So I just want to challenge you. If, like, you take your faith seriously, I want to challenge you to be a giver. That, that's, that's how you could see that this woman, that this widow was, not so that anyone would, get it, would, would know about it or you get a pat on the back. We're not going to do the shofar chests here, I promise. But be a giver. I, to me, I think that's really a great indicator of whether you're a spiritual fraud. Frauds aren't just out there. Frauds are right here. So let's all look in the mirror and say, Jesus, help me to be genuine in my pursuit of God. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that you would help us really to do this, God, to, to really ask these important questions. And God, I, I pray against any condemnation that people feel right now or judgment. That's not my heart. That's not your heart either. But I do pray that we would hear, that we would hear from you, God, that we would always kind of evaluate our own walks and that we would say, Help me to be authentic as a follower of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you, that you were just that, that you were so authentic that you didn't really care about what it looked like. 
that your character was perfect, even though your reputation was sullied because of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, but thank you, Lord Jesus, that in your perfection, you laid down your life for all of us who are frauds. Honestly, we all are frauds because every one of us is imperfect, every one of us is a sinner, and every one of us needs salvation, and that's why you died. And so Jesus, we, all of this, even these stories today, just points us right back to you. Thank you, Jesus, that you did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, and that you set us free through faith. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.